that verse of scripture, his mercies were new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And that's what I'm excited about the most is the mercy of the Lord. So the mercy of the Lord kind of wakes us up. He gets all the credit on that. But then his faithfulness sees us through the day. So we don't have anything to worry about. He is faithful. When we are faithless, he always remains faithful. And it gives us a lot of joy in our hearts. You know, get excited about a lot of good things going on. Um, and, just, and just really enjoy the Lord for a moment. You know, just enjoy the Lord. Uh, think about how good he's been to us. Think about where we could be. And think about where he's got us. You know, think about all the decisions that we could have made had God not saved us and redeemed us. Where would we be? Now listen, I know I'm talking to someone. So don't get too spiritual on me this morning and say, well, John, I've always been good. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You better wake up this morning. I know it's cold and kind of raining and some of you want to crawl back in bed, but if I preach a boring sermon, that's on me. That ain't on God. So you better not blame that on God. Listen, God's been good to us. Come on. We, I mean, we only beat Ole Miss on Friday night, huh? Oh, wow, that was really exciting. All five of you were like, praise God, we just took down an SEC team. You know, and then how about our football team beating Liberty? You know? I mean, it's great to beat non-believers, but when you beat other Christians, that's just something that gets you going. When you beat other believers, I mean, that's just like, you know what happened. You're going to walk by and say, you know what I mean? You, you know you're going to do it. Don't just go ahead and say you're going to do it. You just, when you beat, like yesterday, I went over there to Summit Volleyball, and, and, and you know, it's all for Jesus, I guess. And so, uh, and then I turned around and Summit was playing Summit. And I kid you not, I walked over there. I have never seen a group of people fight so hard to hit a volleyball. I mean, when they were playing other teams, it was like, I love you in Jesus' name. I love you in Jesus' name. When Summit played Summit, you get ready to go meet Jesus right now. I mean, it gets rough. That's what happens. We beat Liberty and all that. I just love that. So here we go. Word of God. Mark chapter 15. Let's turn there. Mark 15. All the notes on summitcharleston.com. It's on Facebook. Summit Church. Get your mind right with Jesus. Here we go. Mark 15. Y'all better wake up today. I'm going to tell you, y'all better wake up. We'll get something going in here. Mark chapter 15, verse 16. Just kind of set it up. Here we go. I don't think you even need an entry on this. No introduction. No entry point. Here we go. Mark 15, 16. The soldiers led Jesus into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. Don't miss that point. The whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hell! King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Then go down, if you don't mind, to verse 25. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews, they crucified 
to what saints? Rebels, thieves. With him. One on his right, one on his left. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is always in the center? Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. The same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. You know, when I read that, the Holy Spirit reminded me of something he told me a long time earlier. The reason why Jesus didn't save himself was because he came to save us. Those crucified with him also heap insults on him. Then let's go down to verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Here we go in Aramaic. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. When some of those listening near heard this, they said, listen, he is calling Elijah. Some ran, filled a sponge with wine, vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. Verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And this is the point I want to get to. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In Matthew, the parallel passage says that there was an earthquake. And people after the resurrection were raised to the, from the dead in the tombs they had been in. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Don't miss top to bottom the top. It's not like they put a ladder up, meaning that God tore it. So we have a direct access to him. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, and I want you to look at this, surely this man was the what, saints? He was the what, saints? I have a question. Why did this centurion have a confession of faith without the resurrection? I want you to think about that. How could this man get saved with no resurrection? Think about it. Never, never did he know there was going to be a resurrection. We knew there was, but how could this man get saved? I wrestled with it. We had coaches Bible study on Thursday. I've been wrestling with it and wrestling with it and wrestling with it. The scriptures answer us directly and then some indirectly, but nonetheless, I want you to know something. How does this man give his life to Jesus Christ as Lord, the Son of God, the entitlement of Messiah? How did he do it? And he never saw the resurrection until a couple days later. It has just gripped me. Let's ask the Lord. Father, would you make it clear to us? I, uh, 
and weak you're strong. But let the poor say they are rich because of Jesus. And since you own the cattle on a thousand hills, since the Holy Spirit dwells within the believers in this room, and we are reminded of the very words of Jesus and the very words of you, would you make this clear to us? How this centurion, how did this Roman soldier, this executioner come to faith without the resurrection? What did he see in Jesus our Savior that forced him and controlled him and made him confess in his heart with his mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. We love you and worship you. Please forgive us, Lord. And Lord, I know that the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And I thank you for the saints in this room. And we're going to go hard after you because you are good and you're even better than that. And in Jesus' name, everybody said what? Amen. amen and amen. So you better wake up. Here we go. What made the centurion confess Jesus as the Son of God? Uh, here's where I'm going to get to. This is what I've, I've seen. The sacrifice of Jesus the Christ in the gospel is testified by God. I think this is why there are two reasons. The first reason is this. And I don't want you to miss this. The first reason is because Jesus' sacrifice as the Savior of the world, the Son of God, was testified by God at that moment. I'm going to show you an example here. Let's look back, if you will. Look at verse 38. Here's the testimony of God. Uh, when I say uh, this testified by God, it means to bear witness. God bear witness at Jesus' death that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the first reason. I know you're going to say, what does that got to do with us? I'm setting you up. Setting you up for it. Here we go. Look at verse 38. The curtain in the temple was torn from what, saints? From what? To what? Okay, if you know about the temple, you know the curtain represented the very uh, blockage between the Holy and Holies. It had cherubim or angelic creatures on it. And so it was torn so he could go directly in. In other words, it was now that we have access because of Jesus being our high priest. So there's just some type of external confirmation that God said, yes, I need to go on, but that John doesn't really satisfy me. Well, keep your finger there, or if you're using your phone, I guess you can't use your finger, or iPad. Go to Matthew chapter 27. So just go backwards, one book, in Matthew chapter 27. Let's read the parallel passage, which gives us a little more detail. Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Then there's another testimony of God testifying to the power of Jesus Christ. The earth did what? There you go. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Verse 53 explains this. It's kind of a little fast forward till we go back. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Make no mistake about it, that they were not resurrected until Jesus was. He's the firstborn of the dead. 
But nonetheless, I want you to see something here. There was the curtain that was torn, and then there was an earthquake. But Matthew, the evangelist, the apostle, writes here and says this. The rocks split. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, yeah, John, something's going to happen. When we walk with the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, when we sacrifice for God, when we can't speak, God will. When we can't speak, God will. Luke 19, don't turn there. Don't just sit up here. Luke 19, 39 through 40. Jesus is going in to Jerusalem. He is riding a colt, a, a foal of a donkey. And he's going in, and, and, and all of a sudden the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are jacked up, they are fired up, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers are like, Jesus, tell the people to shut up. Shut them up. Because if you don't tell them to shut up, you're causing such a ruckus, we might get in trouble. And two, we know you're not the Son of God. And so look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, <laughs> Alright, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going over here. If they keep quiet, who's going to speak? Mm. Listen, when Jesus gave up his spirit to God, even the rocks cried out that he was God. Say, what you don't understand is this, is when somebody tries to shut you up, they can't shut God up. See, when somebody at your work tells you to shut up, they can't shut God up. Because God is not going to be shut up. In fact, he can't be shut up. This is awesome. 2 Timothy 2.9 says, Paul was writing and he says this, For which I'm suffering to the point of being chained like a criminal. So here Paul is chained like a criminal. He's writing this, these pastoral uh, letters, epistles. He says, but God's word is not chained. You see, when Jesus died, the rocks cried out, the rocks testified, because God was testifying through the earth that he is God. Which gave me such hope today that when people try to shut us up, they can't shut us up. Even, listen, even if our mouths don't open, our actions still speak. Even when we are told to be quiet, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you, I can't go into detail because it's all recorded and it's all goes online, so I have to be careful what I say. Be careful. Because I don't want to stir things up. But you know I got problems. I go ahead and stir things up. But I'm going to tell you this. Believe it or not, sometimes people try to tell me, Marcus, you and I have had talk about this. Hallelujah. Elders, we talk about this. Believe it or not, there are some people that like Jesus, but they don't like too much of Jesus. You don't know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that you can't get too crazy. See, it's real nice to talk about faith, but don't you be calling for faith, Jeroni. No, listen, don't be getting too crazy. Don't be having people stand up. Don't have people come forward. They get a little crazy out there. Go crazy. The Holy Spirit might break out. Some of you might go back to Costa. 
something might just happen in this room. And you can't control those things. See, people, some people don't like that. Some people want to be nice. They want Jesus in a cage, in a box. But you can't control the King of Kings. He controls us. So I just want you to know that, that if, I'm, if, if I'm speaking in a certain venue, it's not that this church no one has ever asked me to tame down the spirit. You know this church is crazy. In fact, I've had to ask y'all to tame that. Y'all crazy. But the good thing is, is that there are other venues people ask me to calm it down a little bit. Why well, I calm it down? I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. So I sit there in one little meeting. All right. All right. Yeah. And then I thought about it. Lord, you know what I would do? I'm just going to obey you. And if, 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 if I feel your spirit asking me to call for faith, well, we're going to have a call for faith. And you know what? If I just get asked to leave, you're going to take care of me. Because I'm trusting you that, you know what? You can't be chained. And that means if you can't be chained, neither can I. I'm just going to listen to the spirit. I want you to do the same thing. God's word will not be chained. So when people tell you to be quiet, listen, you got a little too much Jesus? Well, how much Jesus do they want? You, you know, the thing is, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You can control the spirit. In fact, the Bible says you can grieve the spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not put out the spirit's fire. You can control the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. That's why Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock in Revelation 3.20. He is a gentleman. He is not going to attack you and bump rush you. He is going to speak to your heart in a still, small voice and you will be a little bit unsettled here and your flesh will say, that's just a weird feeling and your flesh will start to push it down but the Spirit of God will not be pushed down because He is always about a resurrection and He will rise up. He will rise up within us. So even when Jesus died, the rocks cried out from Zion. Testified that He was God. Hebrews 11, 4 says this, look at this. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. He offered a better sacrifice because he offered it with faith. By faith, he was committed as righteous as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, look what it says. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is what, saints? Jesus was dead. But because he walked in the faith that we obviously don't have because when we are faithless, he is what? So we, his faith still speaks and God testified through the very creation that he created. Even the earthquakes and the rocks split because the rocks were testifying. And that Roman centurion, that executioner knew that this was not an ordinary man. Because when God testifies, he's with you. Can't nobody testify against you. Look, I don't care what they say about you with your job. And I don't care what your family says about you. I want you to hear something very clearly. All that matters is what God says about you. And if God is your first love, and He is your only love, and you are married to Him, then it really doesn't matter what other people say about you. They have, He's just some type of Jesus freak. Well, I would rather, I, I'd like to tell you this. I would rather have somebody be toned down than try to turn them up. See, God was not going to be silenced. He was not going to be silenced. Because he was speaking to those Roman executioners who were in heaven. Obviously, we can deduce that those men, those soldiers, had murdered many people in the name of the emperor. This was not his first rodeo. 
He knew exactly what he was doing. He had seen many men die for a cause and saying they're trying to rise up against Rome or whatever else. They had seen many men die and many men sacrifice their life. These are Roman soldiers. They had seen other Roman soldiers die for the Roman emperor. They had given their lives and sacrifice. So it's not just about that. God was speaking. He was bearing witness. Isn't it interesting where sins rank, where sin reigns, the community reflects the darkness surrounding it? Think about it. here when Jesus died, the very rocks split, there's an earthquake. We know there's a fault line that's, that's underneath the Mount of Olives. And if you read there in the Old Testament, when God returns, the Mount of Olives will be split in two. And it's interesting, they found that there's a fault line underneath the Mount of Olives, already confirming what the Bible said a long time ago. So the earth was testifying to the goodness and glory of Jesus. But isn't it interesting that the earth testifies when sin reigns? You ever gone and been around a place where a lot of sin reigns, where there's drugs, where there's, out, where there's a lot of, just a lot of, I mean, really bad problems, where there's a lot of thievery? Have you ever been in an environment like that? You ever been in a section of a city or a section of a town or ever been in a neighborhood where it's like that? Have you? Yes or no? Talk to me. What's it look like? Some areas look depressed, don't they? Some areas you just get a bad vibe. You know you walk in. You can, I mean, there's right now there are drug houses all over some of the wealthiest areas in Charleston. There's a house and there's a drug house. Y'all come on, Justice Majors know that. But inside there's this feeling. There's this dreary, drab feeling. But where sin reigns, there's dark. Sometimes we can go to a park and we see graffiti all over the place and we see how there's been trash. Even the earth testifies when something is wrong. And the earth was testifying that something was right with Jesus. That's the first point. Let it be known. Luke 21, 10 through 13. This is what I want you to bear witness, bear witness, bear witness. God will bear witness for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Luke 21, 10 through 13. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation. This is end times. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. And in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Notice God is testifying. Listen, Romans 8, the earth is groaning. The groaning will be put back to right. The earth is saying, Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back. So even if the people don't say come back, God is saying, he's testifying to him. I'm going to come back. Look at what's going on in the earth. And there, and great signs from heaven, verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. Notice it said synagogues, which represent religion. Religion and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. But listen to this. This will be your opportunity, and I love these last words. This will be your opportunity to do what, saints? What's the last two words? This is our opportunity. We got one shot in life. You got one shot right now. Bear witness. Well, John, I just think that I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about something for a moment, okay? Okay. Okay. Talk about I just don't have time. I just, I just, I just, I just really don't have time. I got tests and I got papers. Look, I know it's November, and you had, and you've heard about that test and papers for quite some time. But Java City has been way more important than time and that paper. I understand that right now. 
Like I got you. You're in a relationship. You all happy? Or you like Facebook and liking this one girl's everything she puts on? Hey, I went to the store. Like, hey, I went, to, I went over here. Like, hey, I got this picture of like. She got a picture of her mom. Like, like, like. I mean, you just liking everything. Giving hints, right? That you like her. And so my, my point being, I understand that you know you got tests, you got papers, and you got all this stuff. But I want to tell you something. If your test and your papers are your goal at CSU, then what separates you from any other student who doesn't know Jesus? Because if this person who doesn't know Jesus makes an A, and over here you bust and try to make an A, what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, that's why I'm in school. I want to back. I want to tell you something. You're in school for more than just an A. You're in school because God sent you. It is, it is, people say, well, it's about the grades. Sure, it's about the grades. You make grades to honor God. You don't make grades to honor yourself. Well, I just don't have time because i got a family. I just got, we just got too much, John. We got babies crying. We got people going crazy. We got siblings fighting one another. Hairs getting pulled out. Fighting all over clothes. People going nuts. I just want to take something. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have a baby. That child belongs to God, not to you anyway. And the last time I checked, that child, that child has an angel in front of God. John, you need some of them bad kids that down to be lying and stealing toys and hitting other kids. You exactly right. There's an angel in front. There's an angel in front of God. Read the scriptures. There's an angel in front of God. And every time we grieve that child, we are grieving God. And it is our job to raise them in the Lord. Well, John, you just don't understand. I, I, got, I got teenagers at the house. And you know how teenagers are. You know, they think they know everything. I'm not looking around in any area that people think they know anything. But they, they know everything. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. When I was 17, I knew everything. And now that I'm 47, I don't know anything. What happened? <laughs> Something happened. It's amazing. You know that God just does stuff. And so what happens to people say, well, I got time at all ten. And they got so much to do, they got everything to do. Well, it's great if you live in idolatry. If what you do is more important than what God does, then have at it. And see if he saves you. See, see if all that saves you. I would rather, I would rather have a godly child than a child that makes straight A's and busts hell by the Now that doesn't give them a chance not to get good grades either. But somebody's head's going to get busted, not mine. Just kidding. But my point, I think, I'm saying, well, John, I just don't know it. You know, we're, we're later in our life and we got this career going on and, and we got we to support grandkids, we got to support family members and all that stuff. I want to tell you something. It's God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And it's our chance to bear witness. We are without excuse. And we need to repent and turn from that. I, John, I got I can demands. I got season. I got this. I got that. If it wasn't for God, you would have season. God has been faithful, and he will always be faithful. And I can tell you what I can testify as someone who's walked with Jesus, that when you give God his due, God honors those who honor him. When you love God, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, you are known by God. I want to be known by God. So the first way that that centurion recognized Jesus as the Son of God was that God testified on Jesus' behalf. He will testify on ours. Here's the second one. We're almost done. Here we go. The second way that this centurion, the second way, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the gospel, the second way 
that this Roman centurion, this Roman centurion realized that he was the son of God is that Jesus' sacrifice is marked by devotion. Now let me unpack. It's marked by devotion. It's marked by what saints? Okay, good. So I want to say something. John Piper talks about this. There's a difference between a sense of duty and a sense of devotion. There's a difference between a sense of duty and a sense of devotion. A sense of duty is I come to worship, corporate worship, because it's expected. But devotion is I come to corporate worship because I can't wait to be in the presence of God. Devotion has layers to it. It has this interesting. True sacrificial devotion must come from God's additional, uh, unconditional love. And that's what he saw. In Coach's Bible study, we were talking about this, this movie and this book. It's to end all wars. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a book that talks about the Burma uh, Railroad or Railway uh, in World War II. And so there were POWs. It's a true story. There were POWs that were captives. Uh, in that by Burma, the Burmese people, and so they put them to work. They had them in these hard prison camps, and they were working, and they were making a railway. And so they were getting ready to go back into camp from the work, and all of a sudden, one of the soldiers, the Burmese soldiers, began to count the shots of the American POWs. And one was short by his count. So you know what he did? He began to scream and rant and go out and he worked himself up to a furious point. He said, I'll die. I'll die. I'll die. And at that, he came over here, he pulled out his rifle, put it in the face of the first guy, and as soon as he did, there was another man, Arthur Highlander, a POW, true story, stepped forward. Stepped forward as, as the soldier was there with the gun in his other brother's face. And he said, I lost the show. At that point, the soldier flies into a higher range, runs over, and begins and to hit the soldier. And he knocks him down on the ground. Then he takes his gun, the butt of the gun, and he starts swinging it and hitting him in the head to the point that he's crushed his skull. And Arnold Heidelberg, an American soldier, is dead. And he continues to beat him and beat him till he's utterly exhausted. So he yells, load up. So the soldiers grab their dead brother. They put him in their arms and they carry him to the next checkpoint. At the next checkpoint, they laid out all the shovels and not one was missing. Not one. The Burmese soldier is counted. Now why did Arnold Highlander step forward? If he stepped forward out of a sense of duty, I'm responsible for them as a sense of duty, I step forward, he has gained nothing spiritually. John, back it up. Back up what you're saying. Well, good. I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says this. If I give all I possess to the poor. I'm, I'm just going to quote. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not what? I gain what? If he had no love of God in his heart, if it wasn't an act that was driven by the love of God, when he stepped forward, he has gained nothing. Because all glory would go to Arnold. But what if 
Bible called this. And we, most people believe it was an act of God, by the way. An act of love in his heart. That he stepped forward. Can you imagine if he was thinking, I'm right with God, and these mothers are not right with God. Better I go be with you, Lord, than for them to die and not know Jesus and face hell. Because remember what Paul wrote? For me to live is Christ, and to die is... So he steps forward, and he takes an unjust death so that others can live. That's what the centurion saw. He saw something. I can be an organ donor on my car. I can give everything I got. They can give my eyes, my tissue, everything I got. But if I don't have the love of God within me that motivated me for that, then guess what? All the credit is mine and none is to God and it means nothing. My works mean nothing. Because true sacrificial devotion must always point to Jesus. See, as John Piper said, the ultimate gift at the end of everything is the gift of God Himself. Christ died not made, not mainly to make things go well for us, but to bring us to God. Here's where Scripture tells us indirectly: This is why Jesus died. This is why Jesus died. First Peter three eighteen: For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. Then look what it says. To bring you to what? Or to who? God. The reason why Christ died was to bring us to God. Sacrificial devotion brought this Roman soldier to God to say, He's the Son of God. Though I have seen, most likely, hundreds and hundreds of people die. Though most likely I have killed Hundreds and hundreds of human beings. There's something different about this man's death. One is God testified that the rocks even cried out that he was the son of God. And two, his sacrificial death was amazing. Listen, here's, let me break it down for you as Robbie comes over and, and plays over this. Psalm 73, 25 says this. Think about this. He, Jesus is the one who brings us to God. Psalm uh, 73 says this, 25. Who have I in heaven but who? You. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Jesus is the one in heaven. He's the one bringing us to the Father. Think about what the Roman soldier, think about the Roman soldier saw, possibly had executed many deaths. He had heard many deathbed confessions, but not like this one. The Roman soldier saw Jesus beaten. Remember what we read earlier? He saw the crown of thorns shoved on his head violently. He saw the insults of not just the soldiers and of not just the Pharisees, but the very thieves and rebels that were next to him. He saw him take insults as they were crucifying him on the cross. They saw and heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about the sacrificial love that this Roman soldier saw. He saw him struck many times by the soldiers. Perhaps he even struck him. He saw him spit on by the Roman soldiers. And perhaps he even spit on Jesus. But what was interesting, the Spirit showed me that Jesus met violence 
with violence. Did you notice that? Jesus met violence with violence. What do you mean, John? I'm not tracking. Let me tell you what happened. You're in school and somebody's violent. Me with violence. Now don't go punch somebody in the face and get me in trouble and be suspended like I did a couple of times. But my suspension was fracking crazy. But nonetheless, think about what he did. There was absolute evil violence that Jesus absorbed. And as Michael Card said, he met it with a violent grace. As much violence as he received, he was in turn giving back violent love. Violent love. Violent grace. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I love them. I love them. I mean, he's giving out a violent love when he's receiving violent hate. He meant violence with violence. Roman soldier saw Jesus take on the sin of the world. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Now don't get all crazy the theologians in here, okay? I am not saying that the Trinity was broken at that moment. I am not saying the Trinity was broken at that moment. He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. But in his humanity, as the sins of the world came upon him, he felt the weight for the first time that I am not connected to God like I was. There is this disconnect that I am because I'm taking my sins, all the sins, my personal sins are put on Jesus. Our sins are put on Jesus. The world's sins are put on Jesus. And for a moment in his humanity, there was this, this break. In the sense that he knew what sin cost. And this soldier saw the very one who called on God, said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Saw Jesus turn around and heard Jesus say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He saw the love of God be the very factor in all of that. Piper said the difference between sacrifice that comes from sheer duty and the sacrifice that comes from God's unconditional love or what we would call devotion is that the first duty highlights someone's strong resolve. And the second one highlights the glory of God's grace. So I want to ask you today, who do we need to bring to God? Wait a minute, John. You said, you said that Jesus brings them to God. I think you're exactly right. What we do is we do this. We take them to Jesus, and Jesus takes them to the Father. But the way that we do that is through sacrificial love. The way that we do that is through sacrificial love. It's to, willing, it's to love God so much because our faith in Him, because faith increases our love. So our faith in Him, we trust God so much that all of a sudden people see sacrificial love and they're gone. Do we love those people that can't love us? That starts with family, which is very difficult. It starts with teammates, very difficult. It starts with grandchildren, very difficult. It, it starts with sweetmates, very difficult. It starts with bosses, very, very, very difficult. But it starts with that. And God is asking us to sacrificially love. So my question is, how are we going to do that? How are we going to sacrificially love? Well, the first thing we have to do is this. The first thing we have to realize, and I just want to say this. I, I'm going to read it because it's better. The idea that this is, is that the faith, our faith is always in a fight with sin. Your faith is in a fight with sin. Your faith right now is being tested 
Every one of us. Because here's what sin wants to do. Sin is a lie. Everything about sin is a lie. Everything, Genesis 3, everything is a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie. Faith is the power, though, that breaks the root of sin. That's what we're saying. Sin has the power because of the promises it makes us. So here's what the promise sin is making to y'all right now. I'm going to tell you, see, you see this all the time. Here's the promise. The promise is this. If you lie on your tax returns, if you lie, okay, I'm using an example. If you lie on your tax returns, he says, then you will have extra money at the end to buy stuff that makes you happy. That's the lie of sin. If I, if I don't pay my taxes, I'll have extra money so then I can buy stuff that really makes me happy. It is a lie. Because it will not satisfy you because what you buy in a couple weeks, you will want something else. Here's another lie. Writes back. If I just check out this porn, this is good, this is going to make me happier than having a clear conscience. Than having a, having a clear conscience with the Lord. My spirit and the Lord's spirit again. This is going to just satisfy something. Satisfy something in me. See, sin, I'm just using examples. Sin tries to destroy faith. But faith comes in and says, no. Jesus is more valuable. I'm going to be more satisfied in him than I am in what the lie of sin is going to give me. I mean, that's, sin is lying and saying you're going to have no pleasure. That's what's, going to, that's what's going to cause us to say, man, I don't want to sacrifice anything for anybody. I love what he said. No one sins out of duty. You don't sin because it's my duty to sin. It's my duty to hit my sister. It's my duty to cuss out my high school teacher. It's my duty to cuss my spouse. It's my duty. I feel called to just be a joke. No one sins out of duty. I'm going to tell you what happens. We sin because we believe, he said, the deceitful promises that sin makes. And the promises of sin are lies. Here's what I want you to know. When somebody is captivated by sin, I'm going to close with this. Hebrews 13, excuse me, Hebrews 3.13 says this. This is the goal for us experiencing Jesus today. But encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So when people stay in sin, if you listen to the promises of sin, then here's what happens. Your heart becomes hard. Pharaoh. Your heart becomes hard. And the more you hear God, the more you say, no, God's a liar. He's a jerk. Look where my life has left me. Look at this situation. I just want to say something. Some things that might happen to us that we have no control over because other people sin. Because they believe the lie. For example, sexual abuse and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, pedophilia, all this stuff. This, my heart breaks on that. Circumstances. My, uh, Lauren, uh, where she, she here? There you are, because if you weren't, you're going to be in big trouble. Because uh, you're here because I do, because I still told you so. I'm joking. So, it was at, is it uh, Westman? Primary? Middle. The, the, the little boy was six, in sixth grade. She had me in tears yesterday. I get tears. I can't handle stuff like this. I can't tell me all this stuff. And the little boy is so blind that, you know, he's. he's so he can like see just a little bit of shape and they have an iPad that can magnify. Is that right? Is an iPad special iPad? 
No, I messed it up. Uh, it's a magnifying. It's a magnifying thing that he can magnify. He puts his face up to it like this so he can see. And he, he and he's he's partially deaf. And, and he he saw he heard Lauren's voice. He, he for some reason he's a text along. And he um, said, "Is that you, Mrs. Davis?" Now he's in the hospital. College Park I was talking to the principal Friday night. Coach Chapman, I love you so much. She told me 15% of all College Park elementary is mentally handicapped. 1,200 students and 15%.
increase my faith here, Lord. I'm going to have to increase my faith. I'm going to have to pull out a, a, a disciple prayer here, Lord, and say, help, help my faith. Increase our faith. Increase our faith. God, give us the strength. There are people that are around us. There are people that I need to pray for right now, Lord, that are broken. Maybe you, Lord, we know some people right now in a situation that you're calling us to come and just kneel and bow before you and pray and intercede and say, God, help them right now. God, heal them right now. God, touch them right now. Strengthen their families right now. Lord, I specifically want to come. And I am absolutely burdened by the fact that there's just more and more and more children in these public schools that are coming from broken situations and hurting situations. And they need the hope of the gospel. That there's a God who loves them. That there will be a God who will not reject them. And has not rejected them. God, may we be a church. Maybe there's like what we're trying to do overseas and build, raise $50,000, Lord, to, to build that place for people that will never thank us, the people that will never come back, but for their emotionally and mentally handicapped, Lord. And as Kevin informed us last night, all those thousands of people that have no place to live, no place to go, we can begin to pray for them right now. Lord, that's my prayer. You strengthen us right now in our faith to be people and sacrificial. And Lord, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know Jesus, may they see today the real King, the one who will love them, who sacrificially loves them forever. If they will just receive Him this morning. Love you.